I'm Courtney Lundeen, and welcome to the Elevate Motherhood podcast. Do you find yourself wishing you could have more moms, sisters, and friends encouraging you and pouring into you, inspiring you to live as the mom God has called you to be? Too often, our culture minimizes the role of motherhood, but I believe that being a mom is a high calling, and we're answering the call and stepping up to the plate. I love simplicity and efficiency, habits and routines, but my favorite part of life is being a mom. If you want practical strategies to lighten your load, simplify your life, let some things be easy, and make room for what matters most, you're in the right place. I'll remind you that every blessing and provision is God's and help you reflect that mindset in your homes and to your families. Thanks for joining me, friend. I'm glad you're here. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Elevate Motherhood podcast. Today's episode is about setting people up to make positive decisions for themselves, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. This is about parenting because this is a podcast mostly for moms, but it is also just like how to deal with people type of episode. You can apply this to people besides your children. And as always, I want to remind you that I'm not a parenting expert. This is just a topic me and some friends have talked about, and that's what I like to share here as if you're listening in on a conversation with mom friends just doing their best. Everyone is parenting different kids who have different needs and respond differently to things. So I don't even believe that there is an exact right or wrong way to do some things. These are just some thoughts I've had lately and what's worked for me and my family and some friends. So as always, take what you want from this and forget the rest. I'm never judging anyone who does things differently than me because I'm not raising their kids and they're not raising mine. That's God's grand design for families and parenting. Anyone who's doing their best to trust God and be a good parent to their kids is a winner in my book. It's a big job, and I think it helps when we encourage each other positively and are not judging anyone. So that's always my goal. Today, we are talking about a few concepts, and we will wrap them all up at the end. But Basically, it's how to avoid meltdowns and how to parent through meltdowns, how to set our kids up to make positive choices. We will talk about a concept I learned from Ralphie at Simply On Purpose about holding space for our kids. We will talk about leading by example since we are the emotionally mature ones in the parent-child relationship. And we'll talk about something I randomly thought of, which we are calling alley-oop parenting, basically setting our kids up for making the right choice. We will talk about how to be consistent and help our kids learn to trust our voice. I hope this is all a blessing to you. To begin, I want to introduce you to a concept I learned from Ralphie at Simply On Purpose on Instagram. She did a thorough explanation of holding space for people. I had heard people say those words before, like holding space for someone, but I never really understood what that meant until she explained it. But she said basically there is a scientific phenomena that when two vibrating things, even if they are vibrating at different frequencies, come into the same space, they start to synchronize to the same frequency. And the same goes for emotions. Who knew I would be talking about science? (laughs) Two episodes in a row on this podcast, but here we are. Stick with me. So you have something vibrating at a super high frequency near something that's maybe not even vibrating at all. They will sync and end up vibrating at the same frequency. And we can apply the same thing to emotions. So, you know, like, One person comes into a room in a bad mood and it brings down the mood of the entire room. Or that person who is always happy and the mood for everyone is always raised when they're around. One vibration or emotion near one that's not the same will cause the emotions to start to synchronize. So 
How does this apply to parenting? Ralphie says it's our job to basically hold on to our emotion so that our kids can synchronize their emotion to ours. You're in a calm, happy mood. Your kid gets into meltdown mode about something totally random. You either start to regulate to them and become stressed out or upset, or you hold on to your calm and they start to calm down too. You're intentionally holding your space as you chose to allow them a space to regulate themselves. When they are totally dysregulated, you can choose to hold on to your calm instead of rising to their dysregulation. And that choice to hold on to your calm helps them calm down. So you're holding that space for them. We have talked about this in other ways, just like being an example and showing our kids what to do instead of telling them what to do. If you're yelling at your kid to stop yelling, you're basically demanding that this young person do something that you're unwilling or unable to do in that moment too. And basically holding space for them in a crazy moment means showing them exactly how to calm because we are deliberately choosing to remain calm. We aren't pushing the kid away to try to figure this out for themselves. We are staying there, holding our space, allowing them to regulate the their emotions to the ones we have chosen with our emotional intelligence that is more mature than theirs. We aren't scaring our kid with our loud behavior. We aren't scaring them with the fact that we are that they are so powerful that they're in power now and can totally throw us off too. No, we are being the leader. We are showing them what to do. We are holding space by holding on to our emotion that will help them regulate with us. So now are you ready for the alley oop concept? I was like a little bit nerdy excited when I thought of this because it works so well in my brain. Okay, if you don't already know this, in basketball, an alley-oop is when one player throws up the ball right by the basket for another player on their team to catch that ball midair and score, usually with a dunk. One player is setting up their teammate for a really awesome score. And I like to think that when my kids are in crazy meltdown moments, I'm not only holding on to my calm to help them calm down, I'm also going to try to alley-oop for them that they can come back to a positive decision. I can't and don't really want to force them to do what I say. I want to teach them to make the right choice. But I also want to kind of set them up to be able to do that more easily and more easily make that awesome positive score or positive choice. So step one would be hold on to your calm like we learned from Ralphie. But step two is to give your kid an alley-oop, making the next right choice more easy for them because you are leaving it right there in front of them, right by the basket, ready to score. You can also think of it as leaving your foot in the door for them. You're walking ahead of them, making good choices, and that door is closing. You're about to be on the other side, and they are about to be stuck on the bad, upset, negative side. You can kind of leave your foot in that door so it's easier for them to get through that door with you. They don't have to stop, reach up, decide to twist the doorknob, pull the door, follow you. You left your foot in the door, so all they have to do is catch it and follow you. That gap between where they are and where you want them to be is shorter because you left that foot in the door and cut out all those steps for them. You can even think about TV news anchors or radio hosts. They kind of alley-oop each other all day, right? What if someone on the news was like, and Shelby, you love hot chocolate too, right? And then the other person says, no, I don't. Well, that conversation kind of dies right there, right? It's awkward. The other person feels embarrassed or shut down. But if that person said, actually, it's chai tea that I love. And yes, I love drinking it when it's cold outside. I'm so ready for that cold weather to be here. Then they can move on to the next conversation. Everyone's happy. No one lied. No one felt embarrassed. Everyone was honest. She said what she needed to say, but kept it positive and segued into the next conversation. It made it easy for the conversation to keep flowing and both people felt good about it. So I'll try to talk to talk through some examples here. 
One easy way to do this with toddlers is to try not to start your sentences with no. This is also just good practice for interacting with humans in general. Think about that one one upper friend who always has a better idea and shuts you down right after you're done speaking. That gets frustrating, right? Well, we don't want to do that to our kids and walk around telling them no all day. Yes, there are times when we need to say no. But if it's not hurting someone or something, try to lead them toward a yes instead of you yourself leading with a no. I remember when I was around someone who had kids before me and they said something to me like, we are trying not to tell our daughter no unless it's a dangerous or very serious situation. So if she's like touching a table with messy hands, we aren't going to say no, 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 no touching. We are just going to say something like, oh, let's grab a napkin real quick and wipe your hands so then you can touch that table. Okay, here you go. Do you see the difference? The reasoning behind that example was more so teaching the young toddler to react quickly to a serious no in a safety situation because they wouldn't be tuning it out because all they hear all day is no, 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 no. So that's a valid reason for this too. But do you also see how it didn't just shut down this little girl's idea to touch the table? There was just something that needed to be done first and then she could follow through with her idea. Here's another example. A four-year-old at Target, they see a $75 Lego toy that they want. Mommy, can I please have this toy? Please, please, please. Option one is no. You don't always get a toy every time you come to the store. You have to understand this. I told you this every time. We're here to buy groceries. So if you're a parent, you can kind of assume how this will go. Or there's option two. Oh, wow, that toy looks amazing. I would love to build that with you. This Lego set costs $75. Let's go home and see how much money you have in your piggy bank. And if that's what you choose to spend it on, we'll come back and get it. And if you don't have enough money, maybe we can ask your dad if you can do some work around the house and earn some money so we can come back and get it when you have enough. Your birthday's coming up too. I bet your grandpa may even give you money for your birthday. You'll probably have enough then. Did you say you want waffles or yogurt for breakfast tomorrow? Let's go find that before we forget. And the whole time you're already kind of walking away from that toy and towards the groceries. Do you see how that kind of sets them up to make the next right choice and it doesn't just shut them down. It kind of brings them into your positive feeling. Now we are talking about breakfast and we address the fact that they want their toy. The parent still said no, but left the options open for that kid on a positive note. They set up the alley-oop to talk about breakfast and go find that groceries. So when we shut down our kids, we make that gap between where they are and where we want them to be even wider. It requires them to be even more emotionally mature because they have been shut down and now it requires them to be even more emotionally mature after we shut them down than they were before we shut them down. It may even be asking them to do something that we aren't willing to do emotionally in that moment. Here's another example. A two-year-old says, I want to eat chocolate chips right now. Please, can I have chocolate chips? The mom says, no, you can't have chocolate chips. Not until after dinner. So imagine that (laughs) two-year-old. They're probably going to start crying. Now they're mad. An alley-oop way to answer that question and leave your foot in the door would be to say, ooh, I love chocolate chips. You can have a few after dinner. Let's put some right here on this plate so we don't forget. And we'll leave this plate here until after dinner. Right now it's playtime. Do you want to play puzzles or blocks? So you didn't shut them down totally. You validated that, yes, chocolate chip sounds like a good idea, but you held the boundary that, no, it's not the right time for chocolate chips. You gave them some type of solution. You left their, your foot in the door by helping them move from that topic to the next thing for them to think about. I would even like to set up that plate with them and then kind of start moving my body towards the puzzles as I'm finishing that whole conversation. So you're already walking them towards the next right thing as you're talking them towards the next right thing. This conversation here isn't totally to avoid the fact that when you're the parent, your yes means yes and your no means no. Yes, we want our kids to be obedient and trust what we say. I think this conversation actually confirms that type of parenting. It's super important that we are consistent and kind and that our yes is yes and our no is no. But in being with kids all day, there are like approximately 1 million conversations. So in my opinion, 
We want to save the serious no and serious yes for the more serious things. And these alley-oop conversations are more just avoiding unnecessary meltdowns and overcoming kids with no all day long, especially on the things that aren't such a big deal. One of my best friends, who I think is an amazing mom, has kids a few years older than mine. And she taught this to me that she's told them in a lot of situations, adults know more than kids about what's really going on. And I need you to trust my voice, especially when I'm giving a command, maybe especially in public or I'm giving you in a stern voice. You need to be able to trust me because it may be a matter of safety or that I realize something going on that you may not realize yet. So when we get in the car, or when we get back somewhere private, I will give you more information about what was going on and why we had to make that decision or say that or do that. And I think because she has parented her kids with such kindness and consistency and positivity and she's built up their trust, they can understand that and they were like, okay, I get it. And now I understand that when you're serious and when you give a no, I need to listen. But if all day long we were just like, no, 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 do what I say, don't ask questions, I think kids probably get burnt out with that. And then all the serious situations are kind of lost in the shuffle of that being the norm. Do you see what I'm saying? My son is four and a half, and I do think he's already old enough to understand that conversation too. I've had the same conversation with him and my two-year-old daughter. The trust will just keep being built the more they can understand that and the more they will be quick to trust my voice. I for sure don't want kids that just do whatever they want and have no respect for authority. That's not my goal at all. So I hope that comes across here. The more you start thinking in this way, the more you may also find yourself asking why you are about to say no so often in the first place. In the first place. Sometimes as adults, we just like want to say no to anything that isn't totally efficient or totally quick. But toddlers aren't always thinking what could be the most totally efficient and quick thing to do right now. I think not trying to shut our kids down on unnecessary things will also build their own confidence in themselves. We're supporting them. We're supporting their ideas. We're giving attention to their ideas. We want them to be curious and to learn that they have good input and good ideas. And of course, our ultimate teacher is Jesus. We want to do all the things he has told us to do. And I believe this does fall in line with what he says. It's us using the fruit of the spirit, like I love to say. Love, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, All of those things apply here. We are being examples of these things for our kids, just like Jesus was the example for us. We are submitting to the authority of Jesus and the Holy Spirit because we trust God and we trust and love him. We honor him because he has shown us mercy and grace. We are telling our kids that, but we also want them to learn that about him too. We want to conduct ourselves with consistency rooted in our own faith. We're not on shaking and shifting ground due to situations or emotions of our children. We are not ruled by emotions. We are showing our kids that by our daily actions, and that does more than just telling our kids that once in this Bible story. And I also want to say, if you feel like you're doing everything right and you have to keep doing or teaching your kid the same thing multiple times, it does not mean you're doing something wrong. Even if it takes what feels like a million times of doing the same thing and telling your kid and teaching your kid, showing up for your kid the same way a million times, just be consistent and keep teaching them. That's our job. It's our assignment. We just keep doing the right thing and they will get it. As we also can ask our kid for forgiveness when we need to. We show them that we get it wrong sometimes and we're always trying to do better. We are always trying to be led by the spirit and leading our kids the same way. We are setting them up alley-oops to make the right choice. We are leaving our foot in the door for them to follow us. We are keeping that gap short, the gap between how they are acting and how we want them to act. We are making it easy for them. We aren't calling it out and shutting it down and addressing that gap so much that we're making that gap bigger. We are talking and praying and believing like they're about to join us in our calm, positive, responsible behavior because we are the more emotionally intelligent ones. We are the ones who have been following Jesus longer. We are the ones not on, sh- not on shifting sand. They will follow us and we will keep making it easier for them. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, this stuff really goes for interacting with anyone, not just children. 
This can be applied for a coworker or a sibling or a friend, anyone who's part of your life that you feel frustrated when they're hard to deal with. Maybe some of these tips will help you help them by being an example, setting them up to make good decisions, setting them up for the alley-oop. It's really just for relationships with people, not just hard to deal with people, but people in general who are easy, but life happens. And in general, we should be using positive segues and setting up people to score always. Spouses, friends, siblings, whoever. We should always be using these tools for positive interactions, in my opinion, at least. And ultimately, like we've talked about before, we want through our parenting to convince kids that we believe they are smart, capable, important, especially when we know that when they know that we believe that about them, they'll start to believe that about themselves. Part of my goals of this podcast is to bless the moms and dads or whoever listening with some positive mindset and parenting tools, but it's also my goal to help all of our kids. I want to help the kids have positive, happy moms. What a blessing that is, right? Your kids are so blessed to have you. Well, that's all I have for today. I hope this episode is a blessing to you. I do have a mom hack to share with you guys today. If you follow me on Instagram, you may have already seen this, but here it is. You know how any children's toy that requires batteries also requires the little battery chamber be open with enclosed with a tiny screwdriver. Well, let's store those tiny screwdrivers with our batteries instead of with our tools. We are storing things near near where they are used, like we have talked about in some of our home organization episodes. I do this and I didn't even realize this was something different or cool to share until someone was at my house. My kids needed to put batteries in a toy and they were like, where do you keep those screwdrivers? And I was like, right there with the batteries. And they were like, wow, that's such a good idea. So I thought I would share that with you guys. I have learned for safety purposes that no metal should be stored touching batteries. So I do keep my screwdrivers in a little coin pouch in that bin with batteries. So the metal won't actually be touching the batteries. But anyway, that's it. I hope it helps. Before we close, I would love to say a little prayer and blessing for you. Dear Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to be our example. Thank you for loving us and guiding us. Help us to do the same for our kids. Remind us what an honor it is to be a parent. Let us count it all as joy. Amen. If you love the Elevate Motherhood podcast, would you share it with your friends? Would you leave a review and give it a five-star rating? It helps other people find this podcast. Thanks for being here, friends. Until next time, let's elevate motherhood.